Hey everybody and welcome to Cash's Corner West Coast Edition. Jan, where are we? Well, we're here in Phoenix, Arizona and we've got a lot to cover today. Uh, we've got this amazing Nord Stream 2 development. It looks like the pipeline is totally cut off. We've got the whistleblower Steve Friend having given out his entire statement. We're going to look into that. We're going to look at whistleblowers in general. It looks like there's some kind of a retribution yeah. potentially happening against them. Um, I, I was speaking with uh, Ellen Dershowitz recently, and he talked about the shoe is on the other foot test. <laughs> so we definitely want to talk about that today. This confidential human source corruption network, this term that you coined, and finally, the border, since given where we are, right, and a bit about fentanyl. Wow, we better get started, but we got to remind our audience, we're coming at you live with a special edition of Cash's Corner. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and thank you to the Epoch team and our guest host here out in uh, Arizona. We're thrilled to be here. And just uh, a little bit of information for everybody out there, what we're going to do, we're going to do our regular Cash's Corner. We're going to do a couple of Q&As, basically from the live chat. So if you're on there, please uh, put your questions in. We're going to pick two of those. And finally, we're going to go quiet, and we're going to do a little bit of a private Q&A for the, for the people here in the live Sorry, studio audience. Sorry, you got to be here to see it. Yeah. Well, let's, let's start with uh, Nord Stream 2 now. And so this is a kind of a massive development, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I, I, I still, st it staggers me to think about the geopolitical implications of this, these pipelines being, you know, interrupted possibly in a, in a semi-permanent yeah. way. But so why don't we start there? What, what is the deal here? Yeah, so a quick primer on Nord Stream 2, right? If you remember in the Trump administration, it wasn't the sexy thing to talk about, but for us, it was a big national security component, right? Nord Stream 2 is a Russian-built pipeline that gives money to Putin and Russia and his federation that supplies energy to our number one ally, the biggest powerhouse in Europe, Germany. And what President Trump did was he shut down the pipeline's construction, not physically, but what we were able to do was, was level our international sanctions policies against the people and the materials involved because we knew it was a national security threat to American and American interest. If he finished that pipeline, Germany and others would have access to cheap energy and be giving it directly and funding our adversary in Putin. But that wasn't the only thing, right? From my perspective, a uh, specific national security front is the intelligence value. There's a direct connection of intelligence that the Russians, as we now know, and I've always known actually, um, as our adversary, collect intel on us, Americans overseas, and our Western allies. So if you're in Germany, the number one powerhouse, that was the reason we stopped it. And kudos to President Trump and Ambassador Rick Rennell, my dear friend, who's the ambassador to Germany at the time, who took many rounds to the head for shutting down the pipeline, including from Angela Merkel, who was the chancellor then. So like any other national security success story in the Trump administration that was uh, lambasted, we now come full circle under the Biden administration and we have an explosion of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline and thus an explosion in the media as to what this means. Well, so I remember one of the very first episodes of uh, uh American Thought Leaders, the other show that, that I do, was with Anna Maria Anders, who was the Secretary of State for Poland at the time. Mm -hmm. And she was basically, we were talking about Nord Stream 2 and the national security implications for Poland. And she actually said something interesting. She said, Poland doesn't want it. We have this great LNG, mm -hmm. uh, liquid natural gas, uh, you know, shipping facility. We should be getting it from the U.S. But actually, it would be Ukraine that would be more impacted even than Poland. So, so what are the implications of this stream being shut down? Now? Well, yeah, let's give a quick reminder of the current geopolitical landscape, right? Vladimir Putin invades Ukraine, starts another war, and is on the cusp of starting another world war. And then what does he say just last week? He puts nuclear weapons on the table, literally. 
And we talked about it last week on the show, but briefly, you have to take him seriously because, you know, we didn't expect him and I didn't expect him to actually go in and invade. But now you have a man who is in control forever, as long as he's alive, of the Russian Federation, and they have the largest arsenal of nuclear warheads on planet Earth, literally. And most of them, not surprisingly, are pointed at their adversaries, their enemies. And so then he comes on the world stage and says, whatever it takes to win in the Ukraine, including, and I'm paraphrasing, including nuclear weapons. That is a significant escalation on the global stage, and he knows he can do that. We talked about it because we have a failed commander-in-chief on the national security front who has no diplomatic engagement skills overseas because he no longer has the WASTA that President Trump had to get the job done. And what happens is we are losing territory and allies. And France isn't going to enter in and step up against Putin. Neither is the UK, neither is Germany, neither is Spain. Uh, they're always going to look to us, but right now they can't look to us. So Putin's looking past us. And the problem with Nord Stream 2, the explosion, is it is the perfect, to use that word, justification for Putin to go all in. His centerpiece for energy was effectively impeded by someone, and I'm, I'm happy to say that on live TV, I don't think it was an accident. You know, Jaws didn't run into it down in the North Atlantic there. But it was attacked, and you saw visible bubbles in that part of the ocean where it was attacked, and that shut down the pipeline effectively. So that is a direct attack on the Russian Federation from a Putin perspective. Now, what he's thinking is, who did it? Well, and so there's a lot of theories out there, right, <laughs> as, to, as to who did it. And so I've heard, these are the ones I've heard. I've heard Russia actually did it. I've heard Ukraine, the obvious one, UK. Mm -hmm. The U.S. was doing some activities right in that area. This is, you know, there's this bombshell uh, episode. Tucker Carlson is basically accusing the U.S., the Polish, uh, former Polish defense minister, Radek Sikorski. He said, thank you, America, deleted the tweet later. So there's a lot of, and then there's some kind of maybe a little more unexpected possible actors, including something we talked about earlier tonight, China. Yeah, so just to run through those real quickly, Jan, you know, back from my time as Deputy Director of National Intelligence, we kind of have an understanding of what our capabilities are, and we're of course not going to get into them. But the bottom line is Putin has a justification. Whether China did it and made it look like the U.S. did it, whether Russia did it, and it would be counterintuitive to many who aren't used to the national security space, but if they did it for the purpose of having a global justification to continue Putin's war right after he made the announcement about nuclear weapons, what better justification from their perspective could there be? And I'm not arguing for it, of course not, because it ends up in nuclear war. But our two adversaries could have done it and staged a sort of reverse operation. I don't know. I don't have access to the intelligence. I don't know if the United States did it. I read media reporting that, we, that our government denied it. It would have been insanely stupid for us if it comes to pass that that happened. But now I think, irrespective of that, Putin has his justification to escalate even further. And as you just saw in the media this week, he went and took another swath of the Ukraine. So that is an escalation of war. And what does our Congress do? Story for another day, but writes a check to $12.5 billion. And I've said, the Ukraine is our modern version of Afghanistan. We're pouring money into a system that has no banking infrastructure, and we're literally flying in cash with no accountability. So our taxpayer money is going to fund what? We don't know. The cause in general is worth it. But I side with President Trump on these issues where what about $12.5 for American families? And so, you know, that's a story for another day. But the bottom line is this is not good. We'll monitor it and we'll, we'll see where it goes. Well, and finally, you know, the, the scene of the crime, you know, the other option, by the way, is that it could have been an accident. And no one, yeah. no one really believes that. But um, the scene of the crime, it's deep underwater, 
everything gets washed away, could we, will we ever really know who did it unless there's some kind of, you know, deep collection that's deeply classified that is unavailable to most of us? Yeah, I mean, not speaking to any of our collection capabilities, but yeah, the pipeline's literally at the bottom of the ocean because it's not like it's suspended in the middle of the sea and you can't just get down there. And it's not like there's videography that you can just look and be like, oh, look what happened, you know, hit record on a CCTV of a bank robbery. So it's going to take time. And, you know, the U.S. from an intelligence perspective may want to make it a priority in the IC to focus our efforts on collection to see what happened and then ultimately a declassification process to tell the world what in fact happened. But here's the problem. No matter what we put out, Russia and China are never going to believe it. So, as I said earlier, Putin has his justification. And now it's literally um, time for America to actually enter the global stage. I just don't think we have the ability with our current commander in chief to do it. Well, let's shift gears and look a little more internally now. Mm -hmm. So we've had this, you know, kind of incredible statement put out by a uh, special agent, uh, Stephen Friend, you yeah. know, SWAT team member. I'm going to read something from his statement here um, that he put out. Okay, so this is actually very recent, mm -hmm. you know. On Friday, August 19th, 22, I spoke with my frontline supervisor, SSRA Greg Frederico, on two separate occasions to disclose my concerns about potential DIOG policy violations employed during the investigative process. I responded that it was inappropriate to use an FBI SWAT team to arrest a subject for misdemeanor offenses and opined that the subject would likely face extended detainment and biased jury, jury pools in Washington, D.C. So this is what well, at least one special agent is saying and is going out and basically risking his career as a whistleblower. Yeah, so we'll get to the whistleblower stuff. We'll get to Charmella. We'll even get to shift tonight on some literally breaking news just this evening. But what you have is that what you notice is the Diag. The Diag is the uh, basically the manual for FBI field agents on how they operate. And they're supposed to follow that as if it were law, because technically it is to them in their operations. And what he's saying, Agent Friend, who we now know is a whistleblower, um, and went in under the Whistleblower Protection uh, Act, as many do, to expose government waste, fraud, and corruption. He's saying, I reported it, and my superiors basically shredded the DIOG, our manuals, and said, go away, which is the exact opposite of what's supposed to happen. The chain of command is supposed to take that and run it up. But we've talked, you know, um, infinitely about the failures of Chris Ray and his FBI on other episodes. We won't dive back into that here. But I think the whistleblower angle is worth um, talking about tonight. Well, and this is the thing. It, apparently, I mean, people are saying that he's being retributed against. There's mm -hmm. some kind of retribution. On the other hand, the FBI is saying, hey, this is, just, this is just what we do. What's happening? Yeah, that's outrageous. And it's also illegal. Um, so as my time as a, uh, as a national security advisor for the House Intelligence Committee, we're one of the committees that receives whistleblowers. I've actually received whistleblowers in my time in government. And there's a federal statute on the books, the Whistleblower Protection Act. And what it says, in short, is if you as a government employee in any agency or department see some form of corruption. You don't have to be the expert and know it's corruption or know it's waste or know it's fraud. You have the right under the US law, and rightly so, to come to Congress, have your identity protected and sealed, and get protections that allow you to continue to work. But specifically, as you pointed out, no retribution. The problem is that we'll un unpack here tonight is the double standard of justice, the two-tier system of justice we've talked about on previous episodes, doesn't just exist in the courtroom that we've talked about endlessly when it comes to prosecutions based on politics versus evidence and law. But now it's bleeding over into the legislative branch and the whistleblower protection manners, right? We bring up Charmella. Everybody remembers this guy. He worked for me when I was a deputy director of national intelligence. Everybody in the IC did. And he claimed whistleblower protection, and I'm not taking that away from him, and he went to Congress and they protected his name and identity, and rightfully so. I will always say that. If you say you're a whistleblower, 
then you deserve those protections. And his name was never leaked, right? Ask our audience to go back and look at those times. Nobody leaked it, they protected it. And that's what should have happened to Agent Friend. But what happened was actually illegal. His badge and gun, you know, the means that FBI agents actually perform their duties in the field, were taken from him. And this is after Director Chris Wray went up to Congress and testified uh, to Senator Grassley under oath whether whistleblowers would be ret uh, retaliated against. And he said no under oath. So he has just committed another offense under the law and lied to Congress because we have um, non-irrefutable proof that basically he is no longer able to work. Not only that, he's been outed. And so you have to question um, the people in Congress who are in these positions of power right now who were the same folks that were in the positions uh, back when Russiagate started. Uh, same folks that are running the January 6th Unselect Committee. Same folks that ran impeachment one. They continue to leak when it's favorable to them and they continue to leak false information. And for them, it's okay to retaliate because this story contradicts their false narrative, the disinformation campaign they've been putting out for so long, which is that the FBI and DOJ are not corrupt and have not become politicized. But we've gone on through extensive length to talk about why that's not the case. So it's one of those things that bothers me the most, but what is encouraging is the amount of whistleblowers. And we talked about on our last show with uh, you know, my friend Jim Jordan and Senator Glassley receiving not one or two, but dozens of whistleblower complaints. And what they're doing is they're setting the field because as, as is likely going to happen in November, is the gavels, the majorities will flip. And when that occurs, um, actually Elise Stefanik, a friend of mine who's in the House um, in a leadership position, just wrote, literally, the subpoenas are coming. That's what they're prepping. These letters that we put out publicly on Epoch and Fight With Cash and everywhere else, they're going to be able to tell the director of the FBI, the attorney general, that we told you to preserve these records. We told you to call us to come see us. Now they can ignore them because they're not in the majority. And Chris Ray has not gotten back to either of the, the senator or the congressman. But once that flips, and we saw the power of congressional subpoenas and its abuse by the Democrats, and we saw the power of congressional subpoenas and how it was rightly applied when we did Russiagate. And so you can haul in the documents and publicize them. And you can see if they hid the documents after members of Congress told them not to. Then you can subpoena them in person and put them in the seat, uh, not for a day, but for a week or a month if it takes, and make sure Chris Ray isn't hopping aboard a government-expensed paid trip to the Adirondacks on a private jet because he doesn't want to answer the tough questions because he thinks there's no corruption and nobody's being retaliated against. This is incontrovertible proof that Christopher Ray lied to the FBI and whistleblowers are being retaliated against. And, and it's, if that weren't bad enough, there's the next component. Well, and... The shoe is on the other foot. Yeah. Yes. So this this is very interesting. I think this is actually worth if you're you know if you're talking to people of a different let's say political persuasion. I think this is this is actually something useful to consider because you look at the treatment of Charamella, the incredible lengths to which you know people, you got all these congressional members going with saying saying we have to protect this person with everything we've got. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, we have Agent Friend here who's basically looks like it he's being thrown under the bus. Completely different treatment. Yeah. So let me sort of set that juxtaposition up. And I always go back to Russiagate because it's one of the things I know well. But what if we told you in 2016 that Donald Trump's campaign had hired a foreign intelligence asset to collect fake information, then Donald Trump's campaign went and hijacked the FBI. Then they intentionally, the FBI and DOJ, lied to a federal court so they could illegally and unlawfully surveil Hillary Clinton's campaign. What would have been the story then? 
because that is the shoe on the other foot. That's exactly what happened, except Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were like this in those roles. And it's been proven because we put out the truth in those documents. So when you say the shoes on the other foot test that Alan Dershowitz you know, um, commonly refers to and you talked about on your show, this is a perfect example of why the two-tier system of justice, not just in the court of law, which isn't the focus of tonight's episode, but why the two-tier system of justice in Congress, in the legislative branch, in the whistleblower camp. And then you have to ask, what is their reasoning behind it? Their reasoning behind it is, and it always, always really been, the end target. They've worked improperly to say, what's our end goal? Get Trump, prove X, he was a Russian asset, say he, he stole this or whatever. And then they manufacture the evidence in reverse. The complete opposite of what's supposed to happen in the USA, especially in the 21st century. And then when you have whistleblowers, what they're doing is they're making it almost impossible for whistleblowers to come forward. What they're doing is they're breaking the law. And what they're doing is they're trying to freeze out future whistleblowers uh, from coming out. But let me tell you this. I was at an event um, in Paradise Valley last night, and um, uh, an FBI agent, a retired 21-year-old uh, agent, came up to me, 21 years on the job, and said, you know, there's tons of us that support Agent Friend and the whistleblowers that are coming out. And I knew that to be the case because when I was a terrorism prosecutor, you know, we were running investigations all across America and all over the world chasing bad guys. That's what the FBI does. That's what they're supposed to do. But they've been bootstrapped by its politicization under Chris Wray, Merrick Garland, and Joe Biden. So it's heartening to see that there's so many that are there and that just want to get back to doing the field-level work. And we talked about how last week the whistleblower um, campaigns are um, exposing how the FBI further corrupted the whistleblower program because what did they do? They allowed uh, field-level agents' investigations across America to be scooped up mm. without their knowledge, dumped into the Washington headquarters behemoth at FBI, and lie and falsely pad the statistics of domestic violent extremists so that Chris Ray could go to Congress and say, domestic violent extremism, especially when related to January 6th and Donald Trump, is on the rise. This whistleblower and others literally blew the whistle on that and said, you took my case and you lied about it. Domestic violent extremism is not on the rise. White supremacy is not the number one national security threat, as Joe Biden has repeatedly says. Um, but they want the political narrative. They want the politicization to continue because the fake news mafia will continue to glorify them and it so long as it is allowed. And these people continue to chase headlines instead of doing the job. And that's one of my biggest problems, why our law enforcement agencies are so broken, why our IC and DOD are so corrupted, because nobody has faith in America, really has faith in them anymore. Here's the kicker if it wasn't enough, right? Everyone knows crime's on the rise, tragically so. But these whistleblowers, you know what they showed? These guys were chasing down criminals who were committing child sexual exploitation crimes. They were prevented from continuing those investigations because those field investigations were hijacked out of the field where the work is done, given to the Washington behemoth headquarters unit, and traded and, ch and changed to say, you, you're no longer working on that case, which was a good case, prosecuting, you know, outside of terrorists, what's worse than harming children, right? And we're going to talk about domestic violent extremism so Joe Biden can go to Independent Hall and give this ludicrous speech on the direction that the country is and calling 80 million Americans domestic violent extremists and to have his cabinet come out and say that whites, white extremism and white supremacy is the number one national security threat. No, it's not. It never has been. It never will be. 
And that is just the biggest pile of disinformation we've talked about, these disinformation campaigns they put out because they continue to impact the voting base and that's their end goal. And thankfully to great uh, organizations like Epoch, we're able to not chip away at it. I think we're literally blowing it up, which is what many Americans, when you and I travel around the country, ask for. They want it blown up. I will say, and I'm pretty unpopular in this following perspective, a lot of people want to do away with the FBI and DOJ, but we can't do that. We have to, you know, we have to completely overhaul it um, and remove all the bad actors and hold them accountable. That's the last component of the whistleblower stuff that we really don't talk about a lot is that it does lead to accountability, right? Sometimes it leads to manufactured accountability. Charmella started Ukraine Impeachment 1. Then the Russiagate characters enter Fiona Hill and her sidekick Alexander Vindman come in and lie, literally about me. Throw me in the middle of a presidential impeachment to say I was somehow Trump's Ukraine whisperer. That was started by Charmella and his whistleblower campaign. They wanted a presidential impeachment and they got it. That's, that was the end result. That was a disinformation campaign they wanted so they could say President Trump was impeached, don't reelect him or don't put him back in any position of power. And so what ticks me off and, you know, I always say all roads lead back to Russiagate, but it's almost all roads always lead back to Watermelon Head. And I know you don't want, like me using that, but Adam Schiff is the worst criminal in Congress in the last 250 years. And what Brits broke that we're going to talk about right now is um, Adam Schiff met with a whistleblower. Well, exactly. And this is, we, we just heard about it kind of hot, hot off the presses maybe half an hour ago. But essentially, this is, the, apparently he met or had already met with Charamella prior to Charamella coming out as a whistleblower, which is a huge problem. That's not how it's supposed to go. And if you recall, and our audience can go back and look at it, Adam Schiff went to the podium day after day after day saying, I know nothing about this. We're not going to discuss it. We're going to protect it. And then he, Adam Schiff, led the prosecution of the impeachment trial in the Senate of President Donald Trump. Talk about someone who was conflicted out of the game because he was part of the hoax that brought Charmella in, manufactured that false accusation, and then peddled it out to the world, and he continued, you know, not surprising, he's lied about almost everything in his life, but now he lied just to set up a presidential impeachment. And that's what I was talking about, these disinformation campaigns. These radical left liberals are much more evil than we will ever be. And I don't ever want to be that evil. They want to go in and say, we can do whatever we want so long as we get Trump because we're saving the world from a duly elected president that we don't agree in its foreign policy, a foreign policy that would have never had the Nord Stream 2 explode, that would never have had Ukraine invaded by Russia, that would have CCP on the downward spiral instead of the upward spin. So when you break through that and ask them, what did you actually like about him? They just didn't like the man. And so their job was to get the man. And if Adam Schiff isn't investigated for this and thrown off every single committee, and I'm going to call all my friends that I used to work with on Capitol Hill, come January 1 and say, Adam Schiff, Swalwell and company cannot be on any single committee in Congress, period. They did that to us. They showed us what the powers of Congress can do. And then they sh he should be investigated because he lied to the world about his interactions with Charmella, who was a whistleblower, and I can't stress it enough, that started a presidential impeachment. Now, your history is way better than mine, but I can't remember the last time a president was actually impeached. It's a significant process and escalation, and it's reserved for the time when it actually shows a crime, not when it shows the manufacture of fake information to show a fake crime. 
Well, I know, I get, and I guess technically the Senate never, I guess, ratified the impeachment. So I don't, I don't know where, where that stands, but yes. It's, well, the Senate it's very, it's voted very unusual. It down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the impeachment is just the yeah. bringing of charges. But my problem was, what I was saying was, the lawyers representing the Democratic Party on that impeachment, one of the lead lawyers was Adam Schiff presenting the case to the Senate. The Senate acts as a jury in a presidential impeachment trial. And what you're referring to is the, the Senate voted down, found Trump not guilty of any crimes or improprieties related to that impeachment charge. But the guy that found and manufactured the evidence with Charmella was the prosecutor in the case against the target of the investigation. That is the ultimate, from a prosecutorial standpoint, conflict of interest. But he knew what he was doing, and he thought he would never get exposed. And I think thanks to, you know, I think it was John Solomon and his fantastic reporting, we now see what I've been saying for years, that I thought he met with him for sure, and it will come out, and it now has. You know, there is also all these different uh, FBI agents or ex-FBI agents that are coming out mm -hmm. uh, in support of Agent Friend. So there is there, there's there's a little bit of uh, hope amidst all of this, I think. Yeah, there is a course. A lot of guys I used to work with. You know, a lot of folks have to stay quiet, and I understand why, but a lot of folks that are out after 20, 30 years in the Bureau are saying, why is he being retaliated against? And beyond that, they're saying, the reason America doesn't trust the FBI anymore is because you, Chris Ray and company, along with his um, jackal partners in Congress, have destroyed its integrity because you keep lying to the American public. You keep bringing political investigations. And, you know, we have to, con uh, you know, conclude on the whistleblower stuff, but we'll stay on it. And um, I think it's going to be, you know, just an explosive topic. I don't think you've seen any real damaging information Yet. And that's scary, right? Because to me, this is very damaging. But when you put it in perspective, you're going to see so much worse information. One of the other whistleblowers that came forward was on Dan, Dan Bongino's show is that he literally said, wait till you see the acts of sexual complicity that the seventh floor at the FBI was engaging during this entire time. And I was the guy that exposed, you know, the Lisa Page, Peter Schrock thing, because I know how that organization at that level with the politi political operatives work. So there's a lot more coming. You know, and there's this whole other dimension too. It's this the confidential human sources, yeah. and we're learning now that that there's, I think, in January sixth, uh, among them, there were at least six among the oath keepers, um, and then also, you know, we, I think we we do definitely want to talk about what you call the confidential human source corruption network, <laughs> I believe is your is your term. But it's 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 amazing how many people were out. Like, what what are the implications of knowing that there are six confidential human sources in that group? You know, agnostically speaking, as a prosecutor, you need confidential human sources for a lot of our cases. I needed them in the terrorism cases I brought. You know, you need them for a lot of the work that our field-level agents can't get specific access to both around the country and overseas. So I'll always be an advocate for utilizing confidential human sources and undercover operatives. The problem I have, Jan, is we rewind the clock back to Christopher Steele, and then we'll get to Danchenko, and then we'll get to January 6th. The Confidential Human Source, CHS Network, and as I call it now, the Confidential Human Source cover-up, Corruption Cover-Up Network, is the problem that is going to destroy the FBI. They are spending taxpayer dollars hiring Christopher Steele, hiring Igor Danchenkov, hiring the folks in the Whitmer plot, hiring now the six Confidential Human Sources in the January 6th uh, prosecutions of one of the Oath Keeper guys. And what are we learning? Not that they were used properly. Not that our government was using taxpayer money to protect our interest and safeguard our streets and our neighborhoods. But 
They were wasting money as we went in depth last week on Danchenko. They literally fired Christopher Steele after paying him for years, hired Bruce Orr as a cutout, brought Christopher, uh, Christopher Steele's source, Danchenko, in, and paid him for three and a half years. Why? To cover up, cover up the corruption of the FBI. This is the problem that Devin and I faced when we ran Russiagate. We sent subpoenas to Rod Rosenstein and Chris Ray. Um, we, didn't, we never found out about Danchenko. We found out when you guys found out. Just think about that. The guys that ran the Russiagate investigation found out about Danchenko and the fact that he was a confidential human source when Durham made it public. They hid those documents from a congressional subpoena. That is another miscarriage of justice. But if that weren't bad enough, you have to ask, why, why are they doing that? We showed why they did it with Christopher Steele. They were hiding their corruption. They weren't proving any criminal activity. Right to the contrary, they're proving their disinformation campaigns. So when you shift from Steele to Danchenko, well, what did he cover up? And it turns out he's covering up the FBI documentation about the corrupt, unlawful practices the FBI utilized in the Russiagate investigation. This guy, Danchenko, who's charged by John Durham, actually went to the FBI and told them, I told Christopher Steele this stuff in a bar after a bunch of beers. And then I told you, the FBI, that this was total BS. Think about that. And they were paying him. So the problem we have, that I have, with the Confidential Human Source Corruption Cover-Up Network is this. They get to say, the FBI, to a congressional request, to an inquiry from Congress, because they know it's coming when the gavels switch, we have an ongoing investigation. Sources and methods are at risk. We can't give you those documents. They did that to us in, uh, during Russiagate with Christopher Steele. They're doing that now during Danchenko. And now we find out it's likely they did it in January 6th well, by the use of six confidential human sources. So it begs the question, why doesn't Congress have all those documents? What were you hiding? And we saw the videos, and I'm not going to get into the whole Ray Epps stuff and anything like that on January 6th, but... If confidential human sources were used validly and appropriately, then share it with the Gang of Eight and tell them and show them. But if they weren't, it's Congress's job to come in and demand those documents and then release them publicly. And they will say this, mark my word, you're going to kill human sources, you're going to crush investigations, you're going to ruin relationships. And I will give you the empirical evidence to rebut that. When we outed Christopher Steele, no one died. That relationship didn't end for him. It just ended because he broke the law. And we exposed the corruption. Durham's doing the same thing with Danchenko, exposing the FBI's corruption. Now we find out, come quickly to the Oath Keepers case, that all these confidential human sources were there on January 6th. This is my problem. You can't just airmail a confidential human source into a case. You have to recruit them. You got to train them. You got to put money into them. This is like a years-long process. And then you put them out into their area of expertise, for lack of a better word, and say, how are we going to utilize these guys? So it's not like they just said, hey, January 6th is going down. Congress is, you know, being surrounded. Go. The question that has to be answered is, when did the FBI put those guys in? And where? And did those, aid, uh, those confidential human sources engage people who were not going to conduct criminal activity and convince them to do so? That is the definition of entrapment, which is illegal, and you can't charge someone who's been entrapped. My bigger problem is who was running this confidential human source network and reporting it to Chris Ray because Chris Ray is constantly going to Congress and saying there's nothing wrong with January 6th, there's nothing wrong with the Durham prosecution of Danchenko, there's no cover-ups, there's no corruption. But now we see that. And so I don't want to get ahead of ourselves on the January 6th stuff because that's a topic that we'll have to unpack 
over the next literally six, eight, ten months because we need to see the documentation. But I'm going to venture a guess here that once we see the documentation from January 6th, you will see the FBI's confidential human source corruption cover-up network on blast. It will make Christopher Steele and Danchenko look like the teacup ride at Disney World because these guys have inserted them into these matters. Why? Why would you say January 6th? Because they wanted a political target, a political prosecution, not one based on law and fact. And so I hope our, our members that are heading to the majority in Congress will demand this information and then you and I will put it out. Well, Cash, I love the depth we went into today. You know, it, I think we've, uh, we've kind of hit the end of our time to mm -hmm. some extent. I think we're going to have to cover the, the border and fentanyl. We'll do that next episode. Yeah. But um, we've got a couple of uh, live chat questions here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read them out to you. One is from The Other Richard. He asks, do you think Durham will softball the FBI agents who are responsible for obfuscating or even lying about their part in Russiagate? No. I don't, and, I, and I think if you go back and look at our coverage of the Sussman trial, even though it ended in acquittal, he didn't softball it in his pleadings. And we put those pleadings out constantly at Epoch and on Fight With Cash. And what we show the world in those pleadings is that Durham is putting on blast FBI agents like Heidi and others who are being currently investigated. Um, other agents who were relieved of duty, shockingly, as a result of that investigation. Now we see more of that corruption coming into play in the Denchenko pleading. So once that trial kicks off, I think we'll have a more in-depth answer for him, but he hasn't taken it lightly. Now, where people get confused is, ultimately, it's up to Merrick Garland to make the call on whether or not to go after those agents. So the ire should be focused at him as to be like, why did FBI agents break the law, politicize our law enforcement agency and get away with it? All right, let's do the second question uh, from Valerie SP. And this is a little more of a theoretical question, so get ready. Former KGB agent Thomas D. Schumann, or otherwise known as Yuri Bezmenov, in his book, Love Letter to America, described four stages of subversion. Number one, demoralization. Number two, destabilization. Number three, crisis. Number four, normalization. What's going on in America? Wow, we don't have enough time to, to, to dive into that. But um, what I think the short answer is, unfortunately, it's the politicization of our national security apparatus of our defense postures, of our intelligence community, and of our law enforcement agencies. And that's the simple short answer. That's why you have those questions being put forth because we now live in an America where people think we live in a third world republic. We have two tier systems of justice in law enforcement, in the courts of law, in the whistleblower programs, and everywhere else. And we have a Hippocratic media who will lie endlessly to put out the disinformation campaign of those elected to Congress and those hosting positions in Biden's administration so that they can have their egos glorified instead of doing the job. And that is the ultimate politicization. And America, unfortunately, loses when, when that occurs. So do you think it's uh, the, the crisis stage then? Is that the closest? You know, I'm not the expert on all that stuff. You know me, I can barely read or write. But um, <laughs> I think what we have successfully done, Jan, you know, and I think this is a good place to leave it, is we have successfully gotten millions of people to cut the cord and stop watching CNN and stop reading the New York Times and, and any of that nonsense and start watching Epoch TV and reading the Epoch Times. Because they're like, I can't go in every two and four years and rely on the person I'm sitting in Washington to do the job for my community, for my state, for my country. So they're more engaged. But the only way they can continue to be more engaged is to cut through the disinformation and get to the truth, um, which is hopefully what we're uh, putting out on, uh, on blast. 
Well, it's time for our shout out. Let's do it. So before I get to our shout out, I'm going to selfishly promote my, my new book series. So um, for those that followed us and helped make The Plot Against the King a number one bestseller, thank you so much. It's Russiagate for kids and adults. It's got Hillary Quinton and Keeper Comey and a shifty night and the photos and pictures are pretty spectacular. So go to plotagainstheking.com and pick up a copy. But it was so popular that you guys made me write another one. So we wrote Plot Against the King, 2,000 Mules. In collaboration with Dinesh D'Souza, yes, we, we touched the third rail of the education component that the liberals said we couldn't touch. And we talk about election integrity in a fun way because this is a constitutional republic and it matters to teach our children about what happened. And so we don't say be Democrat or liberal. We say learn the values of this country um, that is truth, service, mission, and faith. And we talk about that in Plot Against the King 2000 Wheels. And yes, there are stories of glowing poo in here. So go to plotagainsttheking.com and uh, help, uh, help us get these books, as President Trump said, put in every classroom and every library and every homeschool office in America. But tonight, Jan, you're right. We have a very special shout out. Lee Benson. Um, I know you're in here somewhere. I don't see you, but that's okay. Lee has opened up his home to us in Phoenix, Arizona to do what we rarely do, which is a live casting of Cash's Corner. We had a magnificent turnout from the audience. So Lee, tonight's shout out goes to you. Thank you for opening up your home. Thank you everybody who tuned in live and thank you everybody for your live chat questions. I know Jan is not gonna go to sleep. He's gonna go home and read them all. But uh, we really appreciate your support of Epoch Times and our shows here. And Jan, we will see everybody next week on Cash's Corner.